All right, and welcome back. So we have uh, Ahmad Elkays from the Royal Bank of Canada talking about data domains, uh, particularly domains talking about uh, different data that is stored across different areas of the company. And so a lot of times this data doesn't just naturally merge together. Uh, there could be many different reasons for this, uh, acquisitions or even just uh, different uh, segments of the business that haven't aligned exactly on how they, do, they call certain things. And so ends up making some really complex, uh, messy logic beneath and you want to hide that away. So he's going to talk about in this next talk how they're going to achieve that with Starburst. So stay tuned. Hi, good morning, folks. Uh, it's Ahmed Qais from Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, I'm a senior director that work in enterprise data analytics architecture. I lead a team of uh, enterprise data architects, uh, metadata engineering, uh, data analysis, and data modeling. Um, what we're going to be going through today is a presentation that's gonna uh, show our approach to enterprise data domains and this is a concept that we uh, started thinking about uh, doing about a few months back and uh, we'll share some of the thoughts that we have uh, on enterprise data domains and how do they work. Uh, we're gonna start, uh, I'm gonna go with, through the agenda uh, we're going to show you a little bit of information about RBC, some information about uh, DNA, which stands for Data and Analytics, and this is the department we work on. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief description uh, of the RBC data ecosystem. Uh, some of the business pain points that prompted us to think why we need to create data domains. Uh, then we're going to talk about data domains at RBC and uh, how do we see them. Uh, we're going to have a, a little bit of a discussion on data architecture of the data domains, eventually the how we're going to implement those data domains and conclusion and some other work that will be uh, related to some of the uh, work we're doing here. So RBC, uh, it's uh, been around for about uh, more than 150 years. Uh, it's one, it is the largest Canadian bank and among the largest in the world. Uh, from market capitalization. It has about uh, 86,000 full-time and part-time employees uh, and about 17 million clients in Canada and the U.S. and certain select global markets. It offers diversified financial uh, services, providing personal and commercial banking, wealth management, insurance, investor services, and capital markets uh, across the world. And it's traded on the TSX and NASDAQ. RBC DNA is the data and analytics department in RBC. It is the rebranding of what used to be known as enterprise information management. And it exists under this new brand for about three years now. Uh, and we cover a whole range of data operations for the bank. So we have enterprise data architecture, enterprise data modeling, Enterprise Data Analysis and Enterprise BI, uh, running both actually the platforms for uh, BI in addition to setting standards. Also, we operate the analytical ecosystems for uh, the, the bank, and that being the data warehouse environment, which is a Teradata installation, uh, a dual active uh, data warehouse, 
Uh, we have an enterprise data lake that's been around for five years. And we have a, a small presence on the cloud, but soon we'll probably have a larger presence on the cloud in terms of uh, data and data platforms. We also uh, run all DBA services uh, for all Canadian-based applications. Uh, and also we offer data services uh, and data science and data engineering uh, expertise and work for uh, the teams across the enterprise. Um, we're about 350 FTEs and about a similar number of contractors. This is a brief look of where we stand now in terms of the data platforms and how we're progressing to uh, our future in terms of data platforms. So we had the data warehouse on Teradata for almost 20 plus years. Um, and it has quite a significant amount of data in there. Uh, about five years ago, we started with HDFS and data lakes, and we have a lot of data exchanged between the warehouse and the lake. And we have a small presence on the cloud where we have some business units that actually run some of their workloads on the cloud, but it is not a significant amount of uh, data or compute that we use there. We're on the journey actually to move from the current environment that we have to a new environment where we will be maintaining our existing data warehouse and data lake, uh, possibly reducing the footprints of on-prem. But at the same time, there's a lot of uh, what we call LOB data hubs being introduced. Uh, that are specific to lines of business and they represent certain data domains within those lines of business like credit or client or investments. And we're moving towards also implementing more SaaS solutions uh, with uh, vendors like CRM and our HR systems which are moving to SaaS providers. And we're looking at expanding our um, cloud footprint um, on both Azure and AWS, Azure being the preferred cloud. So this is sort of the um, environment that we have today and we're trying to move and expand into it. So the, we're, from a business perspective, the, the change of environment produced a number of pain points. So with the, the existing environment that we had where we just basically had a data warehouse, the business users were very familiar and comfortable using the enterprise data warehouse using standard SQL. Uh, the data model and metadata for the warehouse were well defined and understood by the business users. And the governance model and access and ownership of data in the warehouse is well established. Now with the introduction of the new compute systems and new storage systems like the EDL, the object store, that created a lot of challenges for our business users in terms of their data is being stored in multiple locations or systems, requiring them to uh, basically know multiple technologies. Uh, data hubs being introduced in the different LOBs uh, also added to that complication because now we have data stored in different locations. Also cloud data hubs and data from SaaS providers that introduced more complexity on how do we use data 
And data movement becomes a large, uh, a, a big factor in any project that we want to do so that they can derive insights and analytics. So data has to be moved between platforms so that it can be brought together and they do insights and analytics on it. The metadata and data models need to be cre created and maintained on the multiple platforms. And then we have uh, finally multiple governance models in place. Uh, and that's adding complexity and it getting more involved to access the data by the business. What business is looking for is ease of access to data to accelerate their analytical workloads. Here, um, we're going to talk a little bit about data domains. Data domains is not really a new concept in RBC. Uh, for the last few years, our CDO office has been working on defining data domains, and we have about 34 plus data domains defined. But the data domains defined by CDO is governance-based uh, data domains. It does not provide for a usable data model by end users. It's more about ownership and stewardship of the data that belongs in that domain than usability. So the challenge we're trying to tackle here is how do we move from the governance-based domain to business usable domains while keeping those domains aligned? So we don't want to really create new uh, data domains that are usable, that are not aligned to the data domains created by the CDO. We need to keep that alignment. So sort of here are some of our guiding principles or vision uh, to creating the data domains. So uh, first, we're going to be creating usable and consistent view models of subject areas on various data domains across the enterprise. Uh, we want to promote shareable and standardized data domain views with common understanding and vocabulary across the enterprise. Governance and access on implementable views of data domains adhering to standard controlled practices. We want to provide self-serve capability approach on various data domains. And the data domain views are aligned with groups of related data following declared enterprise standards. So th those were sort of the vision, the high-level vision uh, around the data domain. And here we'll, we'll, we'll share with you a couple of uh, diagrams and uh, the architecture of our data domains. This is the reference data uh, pattern that uh, my team created uh, to describe data federation and semantic layers. We use this reference pattern as our guide towards implementing the domains. Data federation is an aspect of data virtualization where we have data stored in heterogeneous sets of autonomous data stores and we make them accessible to our consumers as one integrated data store by using on-demand data integration. Uh, and no persistence of the integrated data. And the second concept is a semantic layer being a business representation of corporate data that helps end users access data autonomously using common business terms. This way we ensure that uh, all teams, when they look at particular data fields, they all understand it the same way and use it the same way. Taking this as our reference point, if we look at the diagram in the lower uh, left side of the screen, this is sort of our conceptual view of how we will be building uh, data domains. So on 
the one side of the diagram at going from the bottom up, uh, we're looking at our system of records, our authorized provisioning points at our domain data hubs within the different lines of business. And those will be our, the source of the semantic layer that will be created at the LOB domain level. And on our, uh, the right side of the bottom, we're gonna look at the analytical ecosystems and object stores that we have. And that would be used to build the analytical semantic layer. Now, um, building the LOB domain semantic layer and the analytical semantic layer, we're gonna be using the models and views we create within those two layers. Uh, using composition to look at the domains horizontally across the enterprise. And that's uh, what we referred to as the enterprise domain semantic layer. And along that, we're going to have a process where we're going to have metadata governance and security associated with those semantic layers. And on top of it, there's going to be a consumption layer that's going to allow for either API or ad hoc uh, consumption of this data. So some of the um, guiding principles or definitions that we have around this is what the LOB domain semantic layer is. And basically, it is around creating a set of schemas that represent the LOB data domain and, and data hubs and applications. And we're gonna to apply to it any model standardization according to the enterprise standard in, within the semantic layer. The analytical uh, semantic layer follows a similar approach where we're gonna create a semantic layer uh, for the analytical domain and we're gonna apply any, any standardization uh, to the schemas or views in the semantic layer using the enterprise standard. The enterprise domain semantic layer uh, is around creating a set of schemas that represent an enterprise domain horizontally. So we're talking about how do we view client as a horizontal across the enterprise, not within an LOB. And these will be created by composing them from the underlying LOB semantic layers and, and analytical semantic layers. Uh, some of our principles that we will work with is that the existing SOR APPs and analytical ecosystems, we will not be touching them physically to apply any of our standards, but rather we're going to be applying those transformation and standardization more on the fly within the semantic layer. Uh, the semantic layer does not store any data, but references to where we get the data from and what standardization is required. As part of this, we have a specialized modeling team that will be creating the enterprise domain layer. And the ownership of creating the LOB domain layer will be with the LOB teams following the standards that set by the enterprise modeling team. The semantic layer should provide for metadata and security in terms of access, authorization, authentication. And the question that we have is, how do we go around implementing something like this? And how can we implement this semantic layer? And one of the options we're looking at is the following. On how do we implement the data domains? So we've been looking at Starburst, 
Presto for a few years. More recently, we looked at it, and a lot of the, uh, the, the features or concerns we had in our previous POCs, let's say, were addressed. And we're looking at leveraging the capability that exists within Starburst Presto in creating the semantic views with the Hive Metastore that's part of Presto to define the data domains that we want to create using the semantic view in Presto. We're looking at it also from a scalability perspective and how it scales to meet the different SLAs for our business workloads. And also we're looking at the Ranger instance that it exists with Starburst Presto to provide the fine-grained security and access control. And the idea is that we will probably have uh, multiple Starburst Presto clusters, but they will be referencing to the same semantic layer. So we sort of finished a, a functional POC just on the product, um, not on the concept of the data domains. We're starting a POC soon uh, to implement the concept of the data domains uh, using Starburst. And I think uh, we'll stay tuned uh, to probably share the results of our work in future uh, presentations. And in conclusion, looking at tools like Starburst Presto and implementing the data domain concept, what it allows for is a creation of the abstraction layer between the storage systems and our end users. Today, our end users, and those are business users, need to know what systems store what data and how to access it and how to put it together. By creating the abstraction layer, um, it, it eliminates the need of business use, users needing where, to know where data is. It will allow us to be free in moving data between our systems and, and even replacement of data platforms without impacting our users. In addition to implementing data domains, what we are also looking at for Starburst Presto is other use cases that we have in the enterprise where we, we think that the solution is applicable. Uh, one of them is basically a query engine for our post-production databases and archived data on object stores. So one of the things we're doing is, for compliance reasons, we have to maintain uh, data from systems that we've decommissioned years ago. And that data needs to be accessible for compliance reasons. And today, what we do is we have to maintain those servers up and running with the software, and some of them might be expensive software uh, and hardware. So what we started looking at is how can we move the data out of those post-production databases, store them on object store where storage is cheap, and then putting a query engine on top of that to allow uh, users to access the data using the same standard SQL that they're used to. Also, we're looking at it as a data labs uh, replacement. So Data Labs is a feature that we have in Teradata that is used quite a bit by our uh, business users, but we would like to shift that usage uh, from our production data warehouse to an environment that 
gives the business more ability to test and experiment with data while still being able to connect to their favorite data stores, that being Teradata or, or Hadoop. And that's what we're looking for here. How can we look at something like Starburst Presto to replace our data, uh, data labs functionality? In addition, today we have uh, Hive accelerators that we have deployed on our data lake. Um, and those are deployed because uh, there's some groups that do um, reporting out of the data lake and they need uh, high performance and they have SLAs. So we're looking at it as a replacement uh, for the Hive accelerators we have. And finally, we're looking at it as a replacement for existing data virtualization tools and also uh, some of our legacy BI tools that run on top of the EDW. That's uh, all uh, for now. Uh, I hope that uh, the presentation was useful and informative. Um, and thanks a lot. Thanks, Ahmad. Yeah, that is really not an easy problem to, to tackle. And uh, it's uh, incredible that uh, you guys have, have come a long way to uh, realizing this type of solution where you're uh, kind of abstracting that away. Um, fantastic talk. Uh, so uh, real quickly, uh, you may have noticed this little Trino community broadcast uh, sign over here and uh, wondering what it's all about. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I do a, a broadcast uh, that kind of splits out into a podcast and a couple YouTube videos that we do. Uh, and it's just basically me and a co-host of mine, Manfred, uh, we're just talking about Trino and stuff. So I'd like to take a moment to just show you real fast about uh, how you can find these resources. So just go to Trino.io. Uh, if you go under Get Started and you go down to Trino Community Broadcast, uh, we have a couple episodes that you can go through. We'll have some upcoming shows. Uh, and if you want to see the past episodes, click it right here. Um, and we have various things anytime we've talked about uh, Trino uh, and then basically talking about cost-based optimizers. Uh, what I try to do is uh, you know, do a, a demo uh, talk about a pull request that's happened lately and uh, various concepts that are uh, around uh, uh, Trino. And so uh, hopefully uh, these will be kind of useful for you. So if you uh, are just jumping into Trino and, and trying to learn a lot of this stuff, uh, check out our, our community broadcast. Uh, you know, we're both on both uh, podcast and YouTube form, uh, though I got to admit the YouTube form is a little bit better because we do a lot of demos with visuals. So uh, d give it a look and uh, uh, we'll be back in just a little bit with a little bit more from uh, uh, some of our uh, labs that we're going to be running the Insight Lab. Beep, 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 beep.